Before we kick off, we need to quickly give you a fair warning. What's that, Sean? This pod might contain some naughty words. It's uncut and since we're just chatting with people in a relaxed and honest way, there's a chance. There is a chance. This show's 99% clean, but every now and again, one of us gets excited and a word escapes our mouth, right? Exactly. So if you're listening to this on your morning school run, I'd switch to the BA coach for a nice deep dive on all things business analysis. Yakub Mohammed, nice shout out. Yamo has a podography collection, that's podography, of episodes worth checking out. You're locked into 168 FM and listening to Business Analysts on the Ground, the podcast that brings you dope conversations about everyday business analysis. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7, with me, Joe. Me, Jean. And me, Bryden. That's Bryden. Bryden Neville, Product Manager at Zapper. He's a father of two bustling boys and one of the most authentic people I know. He enjoys the outdoors, but still can't decide whether it's beach or mountains. I'm sure we'll be able to help you figure that out a little bit later. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice to have you here, mate. Um, a good place to start is always at the beginning. So being that we're at the beginning, why don't you give us a little bit of a brief rundown of who Brian Neville is, where you grew up, what school and uni were like for you, and what you're up to at the moment. Sure. So it all began in Cape Town, in fact, when I first entered the world. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, maybe I grew up in East London, and that East, East London, South Africa, just to clarify. I went to school at Hudson Park High, a co-ed school, and then went to Rhodes University. I went to the East London campus, which meant I did the living at home and university commute. Uh, and it was really handy because for me, I got to go to the beach and surf a lot. What it also meant is that a lot of the students I was with were part-time students, which meant they rocked up in suits. So I did a commerce degree. So I had a lot of people doing accounts uh, majors and they would do articles by day and study by night. And I would surf by day and study by night. So lectures were very much saying hi to these people in their suits while I rocked up in a pair of baggies and a t-shirt and shoes being very optional. Um, also probably one of the only people with long hair. So <laughs> it was a bit different to maybe your conventional campus life. But I had a great time at, uh, at university. Um, and then from there, you know, after living in East London for so long, decided to, to see what the, the real London was like. Um, I moved over to London, lived there for six years, then had an opportunity to go to Sydney for a year. Um, and that turned out to be about four and a half years. And by that oh, stage, wow. we'd had a kitty and uh, came back home uh, when my wife was second. The second baby was, was um, coming along. And uh, we came back to South Africa. Uh, for our next stage of uh, my professional and I suppose our adventure together as, as a couple, as a family. 
Okay. And now, nice yep, living in Durban, working for Zappa. And <laughs> I'm very intrigued to see what the next chapter holds. Oh, okay, that's, that's amazing. The, isn't it? That's quite a journey. So from Cape Town, you've slowly made your way up the coast via the UK and Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> okay. Kept, kept the baggy shorts and the, the flip-flops? Oh, yes. So, um, <laughs> in fact, uh, my colleague and I are often refer referred to as team shorts uh, because we <laughs> generally wear shorts at work. <laughs> you're, still, you're still a pretty avid surfer as well, right? Uh, I think I have to say by heart at this stage. Um, I live in Hillcrest, so it's a good you know, 30 k's from the coast now. And with two kiddies, uh, life has got quite busy. So to pop down to the beach um, has become a little bit more of a, a, an effort. Um, I used to surf heaps. I mean, in Sydney, I lived probably about 100 meters from the beach. So I was surfing all the time. Whereas now, not so much. However, I can't really complain. Um, look, I'm extremely energetic. Uh, I do long distance running and mountain bike. I have a mountain biking park probably two kilometers from my front door. So even though I can't surf, I'm still incredibly active. <laughs> okay, that's, that's nice. I, I want to dip back into something that you said. You, you're talking about going to university in uh, East London, the, the Rhodes campus. Um, and you said that you had a great time, but also I sort of sensed that maybe you felt out you missed out on a bit of something by doing the whole living from home study. Uh, go, going back, would you sort of rather do it in res and have, have sort of, left home yeah look i think there are pros and cons to both of it uh, both sides really i think there was some really good if i look from a purely professional perspective doing a commerce degree with people who are actively working was really interesting there are a couple of people who really stand out in my mind i can see them really clearly who had very strong opinions and they were able to apply their degree and what they were learning to real workplace environments situations Whereas for me, it was all very conceptual. And I feel like even you know, discussing with my wife, you know, what do we want to do for, for our children and how do we want to give them advice? I in some ways feel the launching from school to university just seems like a bit of a big step, you know, especially if you're doing commerce or anything which has got a practical um, type of real world experience uh, required for a bit of a, a a background context and I suppose context is a key word that I'm really trying to embrace a lot at the moment even in my current work situation um, but it was interesting to see those people in the way they apply their knowledge to a given work situation and I felt that that really took root within their minds whereas for me I was like yep so surf more means I study probably a little bit less, but I could still get a good mark. You know, that's my <laughs> demand and supply, you know, like how much surfing can I get <laughs> out of my day and how much can I go out with friends? Um, so I think that was probably the one side, I, which is really great. On the other side of things, my group of people that I was interacting with, there was no time to really sit and really chew the fat and get, and so really discussing things in a lot more depth. So that would think was a flip side to it. Um, and I know I'm focusing very much on more of a educational focus. And yes, I think there are amazing social activities and all that kind of thing, which there were, there were quite a few of those and I got very involved. But if I look purely from a, 
a study perspective, I think there's a great amount that probably would have been gained by being able to have more conversations with people and put a topic on the table and heck, talk about it for like five or six hours and debate it and thrash it out and just challenge each other's thinking. Whereas most of the people that I wanted to do with were like, sure, I'm off to work. See you next time. <laughs> just wanted um, to get through the lunch lull and get back to work, right? <laughs> correct. So it's an interesting balance. I look, I think in hindsight, um, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for what I had. Mm. So, you know, obviously no regrets. Um, but as a learning, I probably want to encourage uh, my boys to, to have a more of a campus life and with a real focus on challenging ideas and challenging norms. So it's not just about receiving education, mm. more is using that to really thrash out new ideas and really poke and prod holes into what has been told or taught to you. That's amazing. It's uh, the, 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 the topic around conversation and, uh, you know, having those challenging conversations is, is definitely something we're going to dig into a little bit. Um, I must commend you. The, the very um, classy way that you speak about campus life, um, I, uh, I definitely had a different experience. Uh, you called it social activities. Um, I, can, I can call my experience many other things, but uh, I appreciate you bringing out the best fuzz on the pod. Um, something I want to dig into a little bit, which I which I think is really cool that you said, and uh, and is is something obviously that I, that I know to be pretty true to you, um, is uh, is this idea of uh, you know the the sort of practical experience, you know that that I want to don't want to use the word life skills, but it's you know that almost like that game day um, stuff that you bring to the table. Um, so this show, as you know, you know we we talk about everyday analysis, and and it is really about that. You know, it's about digging into the the everyday stuff. The, you know, the grind and, and, and the, the details. Um, so the, the theme for this season is lifestyle. Um, you know, we're talking about all of the things that we interact with on a, on a daily basis and, and we don't even, you know, stop to consider um, the, the things that just keep ticking away, um, you know, and we don't always think about the people behind them or the way that they, they go about. Now, you've spent a, a fair amount of time around money, if I can call it that. I believe you've, uh, you've gone through the, the different... Uh, banking and payment spaces. You spent some time in corporate banking and investment management, and and more recently in uh, in mobile payments. Um, gotta ask, what's the love? It's funny you say that. Uh, prior to this podcast, I've spent the last I'd say six hours staring at one giant spreadsheet. <laughs> and I was saying to my colleague, we've been modeling some data and just saying how I really. It's actually so much fun looking at these numbers. So I've always been, I've always loved numbers. Uh, I suppose at high school, accounting was a subject I really just seemed to take to. Loved seeing things balance. You know, nothing like a good reconciliation. <laughs> and when I got to university, accounting was one of my majors. And in fact, uh, in my when I did my last year of accounting, everyone else is powering on towards you know the the chartered accounting qualification and I was the only one who was bucking the trend because I was really interested in the system side of things as well. And there was something intriguing about having num numbers match, but how we could use systems to really facilitate the process and how we could really change a process and make things easier by using systems. Uh, I suppose the, uh, just a small anecdote on the side, I know you guys love those kind of things. 
when I was in high school, I loved running. That's, nothing's new there. But I used to write down every run that I did and how okay. long it took me. And I loved that. There was something really great seeing what is my average time, what's my average distance, and just measuring things. And then when accounting came along, I was like, wow, this is a practical implementation of, of recording things. And then came information systems. I was like, shucks, this is so much better than writing in a book. Yeah. I get to actually see these numbers and how they can be manipulated. So I've really enjoyed that, uh, that side of things. And moving to London, such a financial hub of the world, it was natural, natural um, sliding into financial services. And as you mentioned, I've been fortunate to work in so many different areas. I th one thing I must just mention is that it wasn't actually my first real gig as such after Varsity. Uh, I worked for a health <laughs> protection agency first, which was quite, quite interesting. But where I landed up was looking at numbers again, looking at spreadsheets um, and trying to provide analysis to this um, community health uh, department. So I think for me, I've just enjoyed the numbers side of things. Sometimes it can feel a bit sterile, uh, when you, especially when you look at very big numbers that just become another number on the screen. And you can almost start to lose the personal feeling of your customers, which is what I really enjoy about where I am and the space I'm in now. It's so much more than just the number. And I think that, that creates a lot of meaning. You're working for a big corporate bank. It is all about the numbers and sure, they're big numbers, the numbers have to match. And if you get it slightly out, surrounding error. But there's, they've lost meaning. There's, you've lost that personal touch, the people behind those numbers, you know, the processes behind those numbers. So yeah, yeah, I think that's why I just really enjoy it. it, it it's nice that you see number. more than just number. And it's nice that you see the meaning in the numbers. And, and something you said in there, which I want to dig into a little bit. And when you talked about the, the health pro professional practice, and you said you sort of landed in numbers, but do you think you landed up in numbers or do you think you were actually looking for numbers? I mean, was it perhaps the other way around? Because otherwise I've sort of been wondering lately about, we, we enjoy our jobs, right? And we enjoy what we do. But I often wonder if I'd gone down a slightly different course, I'd probably enjoy it the same because it would have been the journey that I had gone through. And I think you touched on that earlier that, you know, you've ended up where you are because of where you've been. So if, where we've been is different. Is that equally cool? So do you think you follow numbers or numbers follow you? It's a great question, Joe. I think there's, you always have a bias, right? You'll have a tendency towards something. So it probably is a bit of both. Maybe I do have an inclination to want to look at numbers and therefore I'll find them. I mean, that's the situation you refer to. Well, it's probably a bit of the job I was able to do very easily, a bit of boredom and looking to, to do something different. Um, but at the same time, I think without, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician. Uh, I don't profess to be any of those things. I do like data though. And I think I, I do would probably naturally gravitate towards looking for something like that. However, I'm really learning that it's a balance. Um, and again, there's something behind the numbers. And I think that's what I'm really very focused on at the moment is what do the numbers really mean? And I, I brought the word, the word context earlier. So numbers are great, but numbers are by itself just numbers. 
What does it really mean? What's the meaning behind them? And I heard something great the other day. Uh, I read a great article about, we hear data-driven so regularly at the moment, mm. you know, and we need to be data-driven. Our companies are data-driven. Everything's data-driven. But they change it slightly to be data-informed. And okay. I love that. Because now all of a sudden, it's not the number says this, therefore that is the way it is. I'm using those numbers. I'm using my brain as well to take what the numbers have told me, use maybe my intuition or my understanding or my reasoning or my contextual analysis of a situation, applying those numbers into the mix. And all of a sudden I become data informed. I can, I can make a decision on those rather than just being driven by a number blindly. I love that. I like that really, too. really like that. I, I think in a lot of things, we're often pushed to be quite one-sided, aren't we? You know, we, we can all be yeah. like, here's an angle and this is the right angle. But to actually have a phrase that opens you up to take a blend of angles is such a, a wonderful idea. I love that. Data informed. I might just append everything with informed now. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but talking a, of being informed... Talking of being informed, and, and, and you said you, you kept your running log back in the day, your little um, uh, pad and, and paper capturing stuff. You must be very grateful for Strava. And you've, um, you've touched on the fact that you mountain bike and you run and that it's a, it's a part of your life. So in terms of a daily routine, you know, and you, and you talk about the shorts in the office as well. well what's a day like <laughs> for Bryden, you know? Do we run at the beginning, the end? Uh, how does it all go down? So on a, in a normal situation, uh, the alarm goes off at 4.23. Yikes. <laughs> um, I'm out the door at 4.31. <laughs> And wow. I meet up with a group of runners, and we normally run till about I don't know, quarter to quarter to six six. So I normally go for a run on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning before work. Uh, come home, normally wake up the kiddies and the wife. Uh, we'll then have breakfast together before heading out to work, and then yeah, bit of a commute, get to work, have a work day. Some days, especially on the Fridays, I might go for a run along the beachfront. I'm quite fortunate to work near, near the Mplunga Promenade. So that gives me a bit of an opportunity to just go for more of a social, a social run and just, just enjoy where I live and just embrace where I am. Um, in fact, I've done that wherever I've lived and I've been fortunate to live in, have lived in some really beautiful areas. So, you know, London, running past the London Eye, running past um, you know, Big Ben, um nice. it's pretty iconic spots um sydney running over the harbour bridge or past the opera house and you know living in durban while, while durban might not be in the same league as london and sydney the promenade on the beach <laughs> is, is beautiful um so yeah very much just trying to embrace it as much as i can but then after that really try and get home and just hang out with family uh, in the evening yeah, that's amazing it's uh <laughs> you know, I've uh, I've heard of the the five a.m. club and and uh, you know various very particular routines. Um, I've been lucky enough to know Brighton for quite a while. We've uh, you know we've worked together and stuff, but I was not aware of the five twenty three. Um, it's uh, it's a it, very specific number. <laughs> and the, yeah, and the, the four thirty one. I mean, we're very precise here. 
<laughs> no, I sound I very methodical. <laughs> to get out the door in seven minutes. That is, uh, I, I, I think you, I think you are clever by doing it that early, right? Because otherwise, you won't stand the chance. <laughs> oh, 100%. And look, the 423 and, and 431, uh, <laughs> I find it quite funny because I'm actually very routine in the morning. It's not like I'm obsessive with the time. Uh, I feel like in some ways, I feel like I'm coming across as quite obsessed with numbers. It's definitely not the case. It's just the 423. <laughs> it used to be 420. And I was like, shucks, if I hit the snooze button for a little bit, I can get three extra minutes. And no, I've really no, no. timed it. That if I leave the door at 431, I get to our meeting spot just in time. Yeah, I'm not the, buying the this, Bryden. So. I'm not buying this. <laughs> I, I, I think you've timed yourself. You know how long it takes to throw on your running kit and have a morning kiss. <laughs> 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 that's part. That's perspective, I suppose. <laughs> you can be sure to expect a call at 4:21 tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that's awesome. I wanted to ask, so I mean, obviously running is a, is a pretty big part of your life. Being outdoors is a big part of your life. But, uh, you know, on the, on the days that, you know, things aren't that fair weathered and uh, you don't actually get out to a run, is, is there anything else that, uh, you know, that, that sort of like keeps you going? Maybe something that's, you know, been a, I want to say like a, a golden thread throughout the years? Um, look, it sounds a little bit lame. Um because it, it can, I suppose it can be, it sounds so common, but I really love reading and I really love music. Um, so combination of those two can really suck up a lot of time. In fact, I find at the moment I'm struggling to find time for, for reading. And the music's great. You can listen to it while you're working and that kind of thing. But um, I really do enjoy reading. I don't know if this is just being a dad, but um, I've noticed that if I, at night time, if I read for more than five minutes, Gee, it's a win. <laughs> Normally, after like after a few minutes, the eyes start getting really heavy after a long day and an early start. Um, mm. But yeah, look, I love to read, I, and I love to read books that are I like a mix. I won't say that I just like nonfiction. I read like I read business yeah. books. Yeah, I love reading great. a good novel. I like reading uh, maybe like some sort of motivational book. It could be a book about history. It could be anything. Um, it just needs to be stimulating and thought-provoking. I think that's one of the key uh, things. To it. One, one of the things I've noticed, um, Bryden, about you is that your eyes are open, you're alert, you're almost constantly thinking and absorbing stuff, you know, like trying to process and make sense of things and see if there's uh, better ways of doing things. You like, you like to challenge stuff. Um, being somebody like that, I'd like to know what sort of environment you need to do your best work. I mean, when we, when we do our work, we all have a place where we, we seem to just produce a bit more and a bit better when, when things are a, a specific temperature, let's say. So, and, and the other thing that I've picked up from you is that, and maybe this is just a perception, so I'm going to ask, but you seem to be able to do two things at once. And what I mean by that is you can have your big spreadsheet open but you'll be watching a webinar on the other screen and so you're sort of able to like do good work on one side and absorb more stuff into the head on the other so is that the case and what sort of environment suits you in terms of noise space people around you can you tell us about that yeah sure so i think things have evolved as i've gone through my career 
I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Um, I think when I first started out, but I think as I've gone along, I'm starting to get quite a clear idea of what I do like. Um, and I think one of the big things for me is, is open openness, both from team members um, and, and whether it be um, people who are in a, in a high management level or uh, whatever it may be, but just having a, a real sense of openness for conversation um, and to collaborate where there's space to be very inclusive both on an ideas front and just just for active participation um i'm not i'm not a fan of hierarchies in so much as people able to try and wield power as such so leading teams is about making everyone feel very included in the conversation and i think that's one thing i really really enjoy as soon as it feels like people are being carved out or we're taking a few people here or a few people there I think that's that's the antithesis to what I really enjoy. So the more open an environment and the more collaborative an environment and the more inclusive an environment is, I think that's where I really thrive. And I certainly have that a lot of my, my current team members, which is what I really enjoy. Um, I, I think as well, just by being open, creates opportunities for new ideas as well. And I think we we really are living and breathing on ideas and I think surviving pretty much on ideas nowadays. So I think a more open environment just allows people to relax and to be able to air ideas and air views or opinions uh, without fear of being smashed down because it's not the way it's done here. Um, so I think openness is, is quite a key thing. But at the same time, I'm also like to put my head down and just focus and be able to bulldoze through certain things um, or just time to think. Well, that's, that's quite, I think that's another topic sometime all by itself is time to think. Um, but I think an open, in, an open environment is, is the place where I really, really thrive. Um, Joe, your observation about being able to multitask, really appreciate it. I hope my <laughs> wife listens to this. <laughs> hope my wife listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're going to play it in the car for a one day, poor woman. <laughs> but I think you know, nowadays there's, I mean, I heard this great thing once that multitasking is actually not possible as much as yeah. we like to think it is. It's actually still, we still do things in a very linear fashion. So even when you break it down into slow motion or frame by frame, we're still very linear beings. Um, so the multitasking, I, I think as much as it's, it's good, I do sometimes wonder how effective it is in the long run. No, my, my, my view is it's fairly ineffective and I also believe it to be somewhat <laughs> of a myth. Um, and part of asking the question was to see if you could, because I, I can barely listen to music with lyrics while I work. I find that the, mm. having words, so if I listen to music, it purely is like dance or something very monotonous and it can almost just be there, you know, it's a certain level mm. in the background. Yeah. You should try listening to some Gregorian chants. That's <laughs> okay. That's quite good actually for no, working. thank you. My mom had, had me on that in my high school years because I wasn't too keen on studying. I can, uh, it takes me to a very dark place. Um, so I would skip <laughs> on that recommendation. <laughs> Listen, you've, uh, you've, you've dug into like, you know, so much stuff there and uh, I think we, you know, we could, we could spend two, three hours just talking about some of the small things you've mentioned there. 
Um, you know, I've been lucky enough uh, to become really good friends with you over the years. Um, and it's, it's through um, these open conversations that you mentioned, you know, that, that I actually uh, got involved and eventually, you know, got, got stuck in a zapper. Um, you know, even, uh, even in, in chatting to you before this conversation, uh, you know, one of the things you highlighted about yourself is your, your love for depth of conversation and, you know, challenging the status quo. Um, and, and that's something I can attest to, you know. Uh, one thing that, I, that, I, that I've been wondering about, you know, you mentioned these ideas of, you know, being open to new ideas, challenging uh, the way things, you know, things are done or things are thought about. Um, you know, at this point in your life, at this point in time, what, what topic or what subject do you think is the, the thing we should be talking about or the thing we should be challenging? <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite, that's quite a tricky one. I think the thing, I can just look at from a personal perspective at the moment, but, and I mentioned it earlier, but my big thing at, at the moment really is, is context. Um, I think it can be said for a lot of different things. And to have a full view of of where we are, what we're looking at, and understanding the environment we're working in. Assumptions are fine, and I think it's important that those are noted. But understanding the context that we're working in, whatever it may be, is really, really important. And I think that, again, comes potentially uh, to my whole concept of you know, being informed you know, rather than driven, is that there's so much more that's happening and nothing is black and white. And I think I've certainly learned that as I've, as I've even grown up, um, there's a lot of gray. In fact, I'd say life is gray full stop. <laughs> there is no black, there is no white. Um, so there's just all shades of gray in the middle. And as a result, the, the struggle is that you sometimes feel that anything can be right and anything can be wrong in a given context. And therefore, anything could potentially be justifiable in a given context, which raises some very interesting, I suppose, moral and ethical viewpoints. But I do feel that that is an important thing to consider, regardless of where we are, is what is the context we're operating in? So if it's your company, you know, what, are, what is the context that you're working in? You know, what does the environment look like? The people that you're interacting with, whether it be your customers, your, your staff members, colleagues, um, whoever's interacting with your product, all those factors are so important. It's not just one dimensional. Um, so I don't know. For me, that's a, a thought I've been, I've been pondering quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it does it does tire me out because as I say you can start justifying anything and you can get yourself going in circles yeah. um, and then to try and land on a decision you can then start arguing yourself out of that decision onto another, and land on another conclusion but then you argue yourself out of that conclusion to get to another conclusion yeah. so it's, um, it's less about but, the topic and it's it's almost more about the perspective with which you breach that topic right 100% I love that. Yeah. Context is king. I mean, it's a phrase I think I've, I've often used. And what, what I'm hearing you say, I think, is that, um, I mean, often in organizations, I think people can come up with an idea and there's this sudden drive to just get going and to just do, almost just respond to whatever that wish, that desire, that idea is without really giving it any kind of assessment or judgment. It's someone's gut feeling or their instinct, and it's not really been verified. And as you say, one can then overanalyze it and almost stall and get stuck and, and lose 
momentum, but there's certainly a case for looking at things proactively and objectively and more holistically, I think, before we, we get stuck in and roll up our sleeves and do. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting, I think, especially being in a business analysis space, you, you know, you hear analysis paralysis thrown around so many times. But at the same time, we hear, you know, startup mentality a lot, and that gets thrown around all the time. And I think there's a balance between the two. I really do. Not, not to doubt, you know, a lot of startups have done amazing things and the people have had amazing ideas and shucks, I wish I would, I'd have a number of them. But I do think that there's value in just sometimes pressing pause and having a think and actually trying to evaluate an idea or whatever it may be um, so that it isn't reactive. Mm. And there was actually a great um, webinar I was listening to recently and the speaker was mentioning about how sometimes ideas and being innovative can become a, a whackathon, you know, um, or I think you call it whackivate, where you're literally just whacking every single idea that comes up. It's like that's not really true innovation. You really need to think about things a bit more, you know, and dig a bit deeper and delve into them and become curious about the idea. But I think that's where the analysis comes in, which I think becomes important. So I think there's a fine balance between the two. There is. I mean, it's it's it, it it is something. I mean, as you say, in the business analysis profession, I think I think balance is something that really is needed and follows us wherever we go and whatever we do. Balancing business between IT or balancing analyzing versus um, actually getting going and synthesizing stuff. So so it's quite a balanced role. And um, talk, talking of the role, I, I, I want to move into to you and your career choice. And, you, you know, you said earlier, you know, maybe you follow numbers or numbers follow you. And you said that you wouldn't be professed to being an accountant, financial sort of numbers guy. Um, and you're a product manager. But even when you talk about what you do, you still describe yourself as a business analyst, that's sort of your, your, the default that you go to. But I, I'm wondering if this wasn't your line of work, if you hadn't gotten into all of this, whatever this is, what do you think you would have got, gotten into? What do you think you'd be doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I've thought about that kind of thing quite a, quite a lot. And look, one of the things I enjoyed about there's a space I'm, I've been in for the past well, 10 years is that it's a way of a changing and I really enjoy the change and be able to think about things, come up with new ideas or working with people who have the ideas and drive that to become a reality and unpack an idea and really understand what it means. So I do enjoy that and I think that can cross industries. I mean, yeah, sure, I've been working mainly in financial services, uh, big and small and all types. But there's, there's something about unpacking an idea and seeing that idea come to fruition. I think that's where I get my buzz, in fact. So when I look at what else I could potentially have done, uh, I'm not so sure. Um, I, at one stage, you know, when I was at, at school, I had great hopes of potentially becoming an engineer. But, you know, you think of engineering, it's, again, you're still trying to solve problems. 
yeah. um, but you're just using a different material or a different medium. The fact that I've landed more in a systems-based uh, is still trying to solve problems and provide solutions. And I think maybe that's what it is. It's, as I say, that idea driving it, make, it comes to fruition and then has a positive impact or makes a positive contribution to, to people, to society. Um, I'm, where I'm at the moment, it's changing the face of payments. Um, you know, 10, 20 years ago, who would ever think about making a payment using your phone? Whereas now, that's, that's what mm. I think is amazing and I love it. Mm. It's changing the way we as society are working. And I think there could be so many, so many potential spin-offs from that. So maybe it, whatever I do, it would be something which makes a difference to people. Um, I think that's, that's the kind of thing I'd like to do. Whatever shape or form that could possibly look, look like. Sounds like the bride and Neville I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, really cool. I, I like I like the I like the thinking around the the word balance. I think especially in in this industry, you know, it's a, there's always a lot going on, and I, I think you um, you almost sometimes feel the pressure to have to like choose one route, um, you know. And I think that makes it difficult for people. So uh, I like the I like the fact that you brought the the balance into there. Um, speaking of balance, it, it also brings us to this uh, little part of our show, uh, which we like to call the seeded question. And I, I think having breached that topic, you, you're going to definitely enjoy this one. So our previous guest, uh, Eleanor Stowe, uh, she had a, a specific question for you, and I'm going to share it with you. Uh, anyone searching for BA roles will be overwhelmed with a huge variety of roles that exist out there. If you were looking for a BA role today, what would be your gold stars or your red flags? Good question. Red flag. I'm here to document requirements. Yeah, run for the hills. <laughs> <laughs> Documents and all. <laughs> hey, look, uh, I've spoken on the on document suck, and actually, how uh, there's a lot of benefit to documentation. I think when there's too much focus on that, though, it's it's not a great. It's not going to entice me for a long shot. Um, look, I think ultimately it's all about being inquiring and allowing space and time to, to look at a problem, to be given problems and to define solutions with teams. I think that's, that's always going to be intriguing and would be quite, would grab my attention. Um, but yeah, I think one of the, I think one of the challenges, and maybe I've got to say again, it's a slightly different mindset, I suppose, potentially but looking at a job spec they all seem the same nowadays mm. um there's nothing intriguing and i think the i think to a large extent and i could be very wrong here and i'm happy to again different perspectives but at the moment i do feel and maybe it's shifting as well let me stop putting all like my caveats but at the end of the day companies need to market themselves to people is why they are good to work for. What can they offer? I think there's still a bit of a mindset on the, the perspective employee mm. needs to prove themselves yeah. worthy of working at a place yeah, as opposed so to the place, the workplace saying, prove, we need to prove that we are worthy enough of you joining us. Yeah. And not to say that the sun, the sun shines out of our proverbial, but... <laughs> I just think there's a, a degree missing to grab people and say, 
this place is amazing because of X, Y, and Z. And these are the opportunities because of X, Y, and Z. Mm. I think that that's probably lacking. Um, so anyone who has a slightly different twist on a job profile, they can really say why it's amazing because the kind of things you can be involved in rather than just the generic. Yeah. Here, here's your list of responsibilities. Stuff. Like imagine saying to someone like, Hey, you'll be involved in defining this particular company in the way that they're shaping um, people's interactions with a particular widget. You like, how cool is that? I can have some influence here, you know, that you're not just pushing paper. You are actually making a fundamental difference to how efficient an organization is performing. Um, and it comes back to, uh, I hate to say it, but doing the analysis um, sometimes. Doing a small change for someone who's doing a job which can seem very menial and manual. It's like, we can make this so much better. You can influence their day. They could say, this part of my job is terrible. It sucks. Yeah. And, and that's something different. And that's changing again, positive change on people's lives. That's the, that's the key. And, and if you look how, how business analysis is changing, you know, from the way it's done and the things that are popular, I almost feel like you've echoed that into job specs. It's about value. It's about outcome. It's about purpose. It's about meaning. It's not about the functions and the, and, and the features. It's about really what those things together achieve and as you say if you can sell that and and the other really important thing in there which i think you said is an interview is a two-way mechanism and so often we it's just set up to be this one person on show hoping to get picked by being the shiniest out of a row of people and (laughs) you know it it, is such a such a traditional and aged uh, process and mechanism really yeah, it'd be yeah. lovely if that changed. It would, but I think, look, it's, I think it's challenging and I think supply and demand, it comes out to economics at the end of the day. I just think that our mentalities and our mindsets need to, to, to shift. Mm-hmm. They do. It's really good advice. I like that idea. I think, uh, I think you, you, earlier we spoke about value proposition a bit, right? Um, and it's a two-way street, that, because it, it needs to be a fit. Um, I think I chatted to a friend of mine recently and he was comparing job hunting to you know like you know going 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 out on the pub and like finding a girlfriend uh you know it's uh, it's, not, it's not a great comparison but like it's got to be compatible mm. it depends on what you're looking for um you know but just the like the surface conversation the chatter at the bar like that is never going to be a determinator of a good relationship right? mm. um, yeah. it might it might look good up the front but like i mean eventually you're gonna have some deeper conversation yeah, you do. I, and you've set me up so nicely here for the next question, John. I mean, I, I could really dig into your Friday night finding a partner analogy. Um, but, um, but I want to ask you, Bryden, in terms of the business analysis practice, the art, the science, can you give us a good analogy that we can use to describe what we do? <laughs> um. Have you ever untangled a hose pipe before? A hose pipe that's been rolled up and sat there for a few years and you just want to pull that thing straight and someone's yanking the one end of the hose pipe. And you pull it and you're like, shucks, this thing is such a tangled mess. And you keep on pulling and everyone's pulling it harder and harder and it just gets more tangled and more tangled. So you're like, hold on a second, dude, just hold on. And you've got to almost unravel the whole hose pipe until the whole thing is laid out 
and then you get to roll it all up nicely again. Nice and neatly. Okay. And it looks nice. And then terrible fucking pitch. Like you want people to be <laughs> into this industry. <laughs> and then and then and as soon as it's it's all nicely in a beautiful coil, you hang it up on the wall, whatever. And then you're like, right, I need to water the garden again. So you pull the one end and the whole thing becomes a freaking tangled mess again. <laughs> and you're like, hold on a second, let's untangle this and like try and roll it up. Um Look, let's just come to the top of my head. Look, no, I think- no. I, I, you know what, I mean, I mean, John was pretty, like, dissing of what you did there. I must say, I, I was quite impressed because that's a difficult thing on the spot to do. But at the same token, I was a little bit disappointed because I thought we were going to go towards power tools. Well, you know, what a power... <laughs> uh, yeah, look, analogies are, are great things. As long as the people who are listening to the analogies have the right context in which the analogies are being talked about, because otherwise it can sound quite bizarre. Because let's face it, what do hose pipes have to do with business analysis? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done there. Nicely done. Apparently tons. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a good one. Well, you know, we, we're digging into a, a little bit of a, a fun part of the show. We, you know, we're sort of, uh, you know, walking into the, the final third. Um, we've got this thing called the Quickfire 9, right? It's, uh, it's, it's fairly simple. Um, there's, there's one or two rules. You have, to, you have to absolutely pick one, right? So we'll present you with uh, two options. Uh, I think there's about nine questions. You get an option of two things. And you can't pass, you can't choose an alternative answer. You've just got to stick to your guns and choose one. Uh, we're going to rattle them off. So we're not going to give you an hour to dig into the data and look at the spreadsheet. You know? So you're going to use a little bit of that gut and, uh, <laughs> and dig into it and uh, see where we go from there. You ready? Let's go. Awesome. Podcast versus webinar. Podcast. Documentation or conversation? Conversation. Solo or team? Team. Create or consume? Create. Cats or Mamma Mia? The cats. Cats or Mamma Mia? Mamma Mia. Functional or non-functional? Functional. Road or trail? Trail. Arsenal or Liverpool? Liverpool. Beach or mountain? Damn, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) TikTok. At the moment, I'm going to say mountain. Nice one. This show is all about helping the people that come on it as well. You know, we're not just consuming. (laughs) We we helped you across the line on that one. (laughs) Oh, goodness. The most important thing in there is nothing to be sad about, John. It's um, something to be very happy about because Liverpool have pulled it back to 4-3 here with that answer. And with two with, with two shows to go, you know, this could be one of the this could be one of the biggest comebacks that Liverpool have ever ever managed to complete. Yeah. We'll just have to see that halftime talk is gonna to need to be a good one. It is, it is. Right. Um that brings us pretty much to to the tail end of uh this episode and um Eleanor Stowe asked you your seeded question. So 
it would be unfair of us not to ask you for a question to, to pay forward to our next guest on the show, who is Ollie Wills. So uh, I believe you've put a question together for Ollie. Can you, can you tell us what it is and, and tell us why that question matters to you? Sure. So my question to Ollie would be, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's not your current job. I'm still trying to find out what I want to do when I grow up. Okay. Midlife crisis at its best, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's where the mountain biking comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, yeah. come, there's so much life to be lived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, so, so after this, I'm sure people are going to want to hear more from the bride and Neville, you know, to start some deep, challenging conversations, to get philosophical and to find out what you think. So where might people be able to do that? How can they uh, connect with you online? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only bride and Neville on LinkedIn, so it should be relatively easy to find me. Uh, but yeah, I would love to connect with anyone on LinkedIn who's keen to have a good conversation. Uh, check me out on Twitter as well. Um, those are my main two channels at this, this stage um, that you can connect with me. Um, but yeah, I'm always up for a conversation. So ping me whenever you'd like to have a bit of a netter. Nice one. Nice one. Well, thanks for coming on the pod, Bryden. It's been uh, wonderful as always just to chat shit with you really and, um, and, and, and get some value out of that, you know? So, so thanks. Thanks for being oh. brave enough to come on. Well, yeah. thanks guys for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolute blast. Hashtag garden gnomes. Australia, you say you're a banker, they're like, ah, oh, wanker. <laughs> <laughs> so look, um, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Stuart. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I should have. I was like, do I bring this in at the beginning? I thought, no. Nah, let's just, uh, let's just. Leave it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ryan's been so professional. I like, yeah. I couldn't even slip in a, like a swear word anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I was like. <laughs>